Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio. Join us each week as we delve into some of life's most complex questions. It's time to explore the unexplained with your hosts, Karen Frazier and Rick Hale. Hey everybody, welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. Karen Frazier coming at you tonight live. Sitting in with me for Rick Hale tonight, we have the lovely and talented Cheryl Knight. (laughs) Oh, I mean, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, thank you, Karen. (laughs) Yes, well, you know, I figure I, 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 when Rick's here, I'd never give you any respect. So I figured this week. I love it. Respect, sister. Thank you. Yeah, so Rick's having some kind of computer issues, I guess, and um, so here's Cheryl, yay! So Hi, everybody. Cheryl, we're going to be talking to Jill Marie Morris tonight, right? We are, yeah, and we've I talked to Jill. Jill. She's awesome, we've talked to her before, and I'm looking forward to it this time as well. Yeah, it should be a great conversation. She has a new book out called Saint Sinners and Sacred Ground, available on Amazon.com and other book retailers. Um, she, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to have to... Mia culpa to her, and so is Cheryl, apparently, at the beginning of the, <laughs> as soon as she comes on. She was so kind and lovely, and she sent us both the book, and it's sitting right here next to me, and yeah, that's all I've done with it so far. Well, I, I <laughs> did start the book, I just didn't finish oh. the book, and it's not because it wasn't good, but it was no, it was because of a no project, it's, yeah, it's not I had that a killer I no project interest, that came in, and I just I have no time. dominated, yeah, exactly, but <laughs> hopefully by next week I can resume my reading and, and finish it, so looking forward to that. Um, I did read Jill's first book, as you did too, Karen, um, yeah, 207, 207, yeah, A Personal Account of Love, Paranormal Phenomenon, and Demonic Possession. And it was such a, a, a moving and um, tragic story. And uh, I, I really um, felt like Jill went through such a huge ordeal and trauma. But um, she shared everything. And it was, it was a really good book in that I felt like I connected to what, even though I probably can't, can't really imagine what she was going through, but connected to what was happening during that time in her life. So... Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Jill is also, she's a psychic medium, a very gifted one, and just an all around wonderful person. So you guys will enjoy listening. We're going to, you know, a lot of estrogen in the room tonight. And you know what? Sometimes (laughs) that's a good way to have it be, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Girl power. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you you probably noticed, I am on, on the mend from last week's laryngitis. You sound better, though. I do, really do, I do. It's it's really funny. It comes and goes. I'll be like, great for a few minutes. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I won't be able to talk. So I think that what it is, is that I don't really, really shut up. <laughs> and when you're trying to recover from laryngitis, apparently some of the criteria is that you supposed to not you, talk. You gotta be quiet. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you emailed me earlier this week that you weren't getting better really because you were talking too much and I told you to shut up. <laughs> I told you, you, to, shut you to, shut up, to shut up, but yes. I don't think that you did. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, Jim's been home the last couple of days, and he and I have lots of things to talk about. Yeah. Hey, so, I get it. Yeah. Yes, you know, we have, we've had a little excitement at the house today. You did. That's what we're talking about. That was scary. It's, it's, it's not paranormal excitement. We do no. get that sometimes, too. But this was, um, this was of the wild animal kind. My son was driving up the hill at lunch today, and... Um, 
he saw what he is relatively certain was a cougar in our driveway. And we have four small dogs and a cat. So, in other words, basically snacks. Yeah. And uh, one of our dogs was actually killed by a cougar a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, so we've been um, on high alert when you get a cougar in the area. Oh, my God. I can imagine. That is really scary. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It's, you know what, for me, that kind of crap is scarier than anything that could ever come at me with a ghost or a spirit or mm-hmm. anything like that, you know? Mm-hmm. The ghost stuff, yeah, you know, it sometimes startles me. It sometimes surprises me. But it doesn't usually scare me. Every once in a while, something will happen. Like, I'll get in the presence of something that's got that kind of heavier, darker energy. And that can feel scary in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what do you, I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about, that scary, heavy energy that just has mm-hmm. a fore, foreboding, um, mm-hmm. you know, sensation to it. What do you do in that instance to keep calm, especially on an investigation? Well, there's lots of things that you can do. What I do, and actually, it's funny that you should mention this, because I think I just sent you a top 10 list for next month about this, didn't I? Okay, you did, but I have to admit, I haven't read it yet. You haven't read it yet. You're just, you're <laughs> as bad as I am. Um, so there, there are several things that I do. I, I ground and center myself um, yeah. first and foremost, and then I, I I have several exercises that I can do to sort of adjust the psychic energy. Now, in some cases, I will tell you when it's really super heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I leave the area for a bit. Okay. But not often. I mean, that has to be like making me want to vomit heavy. Okay. And I usually try other things first. But but one of the things that I do, this is actually one of my favorite exercises, and I'm going to spoil a little bit of what's in the magazine next month, if you That's don't okay. mind, because I just no. think it's so valuable. Go for it. Okay. So I do an imaging exercise in my mind, and I do it instantaneously, but I want people to practice doing this ahead of time um, before they're in a situation <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So practice doing it in your home. Uh, do it every day. What I do is I close my eyes and I fix. I, I picture in my head two volume switches. I use the old fashioned. I see and just you know probably dating myself more than anything. <laughs> the old fashioned slider switches that they used to have like on the graphic equalizers mm-hmm. and the stereos mm-hmm. and stuff. Oh, I know those. <laughs> mm-hmm. So one of my and you could but it can be a volume dial. It can be whatever you associate with the volume. I mean, it can be like a you know when you turn the volume up on your TV and the bars, it, any of that stuff. Yeah. So what I do is I picture two of those. One is labeled me, and one is labeled everyone else. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I picture those two things, and I slide me all the way up to ten, and I slide everyone else down to whatever level I want them to be at. So if if, if I'm on an investigation and I want to try to figure out what this is, I'm not going to turn it all the way down to zero. Okay, because mm-hmm. I want to be able to communicate. Still, if I turn it down to zero, I'm not going to be able to hear. Them. Yeah. So I will adjust it to where I think it should be. Now, the other thing is if I know some of the spirits I'm dealing with, or even if I'm around other people who, um, because I'm empathic, mm-hmm. and this is especially great for empathic people, um, I will turn the volume, I, I will label it for different people. So say, for instance, I'm in a room, and it's me, and it's you, and it's Chad, and it's Rick, okay? Mm-hmm. And Rick's driving me crazy, and Chad's driving me crazy, but, you know, you're okay. Okay. I may label one with each of those. Me, you, me, Cheryl, Rick, Chad. Yeah. And I may turn Rick down to two and Chad down to one. 
and I may turn you up to six or seven because I'm trying to figure, or say, you know, maybe I'm trying to figure out, I'm having a conversation, and my husband's sitting here, and I probably don't want him to know this, but I'll, I'll just say it. So <laughs> say I'm trying to figure out something that's going on with my husband. And he's kind of given me, you know, all the man signals that are, yeah. are you know, not pretty noncommittal. Yeah. I'll actually slide his up to seven or eight <laughs> so I can see if I can tap into that a little more. Okay. Yeah. So it's 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 actually really effective. But the thing is, you need to practice it first uh, okay. at home so that you can throw it up instantaneously if you're mm-hmm. in, a, in a situation. Yeah. And like what I do is because again, I'm empathic and I'm um, empathic towards any kind of consciousness, whether it's human beings or dead human beings mm-hmm. <laughs> or other, you know, other whatever else is out there. So I okay. have problems with places like um, sporting events. Um, Jim and I are going to a show on Saturday. We're going to see Spam a lot for our anniversary. Oh, cool. And there will be a lot of people there. I will turn down my volume switch before I go. Um, if, you know, I, I almost never shop at Walmart because I hate it. But if mm-hmm. for some reason, because we live in a one-horse town um, and I have to go into Walmart for something, I'll turn my other people volume switch completely down. Okay. I'll turn it off. Yeah. And so you find that that works pretty effectively for you? Um, For me, it's it's fantastic okay so what i recommend for people is to find the imagery that works for you mm-hmm. whether it's something like i just said with volume switches oh. or maybe for you it's that you know you put a filter up or it's it's whatever whatever works for you yeah. that's the imagery that works for me and i find it incredibly effective that sounds pretty cool i really like that idea of being able to control that aspect of your environment yeah, yeah, and and it, it and it gets better with practice. And what I also find is it lasts longer with practice. Mm-hmm. So when I first started doing this, I could only keep those volume switches in place for a very short amount of time. Okay, and now I can do it for several hours. Wow. Okay, so you really kind of honed that skill to where it, it's it's pretty effective right now. Well, I had to, or I was yeah. going to go nuts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks so for sharing that. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't get those. I used to get those feelings more often um, than than now, but occasionally they, they still come around and they're a little uncomfortable. And I always wonder, well, what's the best way to deal with it? I mean, yeah, I could just outright ignore it, but it's still in the back of my mind. Like, you know, what's going on? What is that? And all that stuff. So, well, try the volume switch. Mm-hmm. I'll do yeah. that. <laughs> Give it a try. All right. We'll ask Jill when she comes on um, what she does for that, too, because that'll be an interesting. It's yeah. always interesting when you talk to somebody who has those abilities to see what they do to kind of keep control of those as well. Because I mm-hmm. think a lot of people have abilities that may not realize it, and they may be getting a lot of noise. Because before I realized that I had abilities, mm-hmm. what I had was a lot of noise and this emotional jumble that was really difficult to deal with a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Right. So, okay. anyway. All right. So, time to go to break. Yep. Let's do this. We'll go to break. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Jill Marie Morris. Um, So stick around. It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. 
visit us today at paranormalunderground.net and get a 12-month digital subscription for 15% off the cover price. It's Karen Frazier. I'm here with my co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio, Rick Hale. Hi, everyone. We invite you to join Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network to explore the unexplained every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Pacific and other times in the flyover states. (laughs) Each week we talk with investigators in the field, researchers, authors, and experts about topics that include paranormal investigation, ufology, cryptozoology, and spirituality. So please join us each Thursday at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern for Paranormal Talk with great guests right here on HazyRadioNetwork.com. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at ParanormalUG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. Hey, this is Karen Frazier, writer and radio host with Paranormal Underground. Since I wrote my book, Avalanche of Spirits, The Ghosts of Wellington in 2010, people have asked me what happened next. In my new book, Dancing with the Afterlife, a paranormal memoir, my Wellington story continues. Dancing with the Afterlife is more than the continuation of the Wellington story, however. It's also the story of a lifetime of afterlife research and paranormal encounters. What I've learned has changed my life, and it might change yours as well. To learn more about Dancing with the Afterlife or to read an excerpt from the book, visit dancingwiththeafterlife.com. Thank you. the 
Hi, this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. The views expressed and the opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Hazy Radio Network, its affiliates, or sponsors. All shows are independently owned and broadcast for entertainment purposes only. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. Karen and Cheryl with you. Cheryl sitting in for Rick tonight. Hey. Rick is having computer difficulties. As a matter of fact, it was sad because uh, we we were ready to go and his computer bonked out and that was the last we heard of a mother in text. So. Oh, so I'm sure he'll be back next week. In the meantime, we have our guest with us tonight. We're going to be talking to Jill Marie Morris. Jill is the author of 207 and her new book, Saints, Sinners, and Sacred Ground, which is a prequel sequel, I like that, to 207. And it's a collective and investigative piece that takes the reader on a spellbinding journey into, you're going to have to say the name of the town, Jill. Waterbalik. Waterville, see, I wouldn't have done it. Waterville, New York, which is has a deeply haunted past. So, Jill, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me back again. It's always a lot of fun to speak with you all. Yes, and congratulations on the new book. You feel like you've given birth again? I did. I tell you, this one was a doozy. It was uh, uh, took a lot longer than I anticipated, probably by a good year and a half just because of roadblocks and the house being so old and trying to get some of the information uh, through different channels. So it, it was like giving birth in the end. Yeah, well, and and very heavily researched book this time as well, correct? It It is, and a tremendous amount of history due to the fact that the city has quite a past, the house had quite a past, I went into uh, in-depth tenant information, Who all the people that, well, most of the people who lived at 207, uh-huh. and um, as well as went way, way back in the city's history and brought it forward to present day. So it kind of covers what happened in 207 in the middle of the book um, and really kind of combines the history with investigative research I did, interviews with residents of the city, and uh, personal anecdotes of, you know, just being a medium psychic, things sure. that have gone on relative to the house. So, sure. yeah, it was, it was kind of a very interesting journey. Cool. Well, we will talk about that um, in a bit. But Cheryl and I were actually talking about something before the break, and I wanted to have you weigh in on it because you are, of course, a medium and a psychic. And um, so I was telling Cheryl about she wanted to know how I – protect myself when I feel like a heavier energy or things like that. And so I was telling her about my patented turn up and turn down your volume switches. And I wanted to know, um, just, you know, because we were talking about it, what do you do? That's a good question. I, I have a bunch of things that I do. And I think the best way to describe it would be it's kind of a blend of different faiths, like I have some prayers that I say, some real quick ones, depending how heavy or dark the energy is. Um, Sometimes I'll say, you know, the St. Michael's Prayer, and then there are times when I just need to to get away, like natural light. If If I'm getting zapped by something really dark, I like to remove myself and <laughs> yeah that's that's, that's that's one of mine too that's in my arsenal <laughs> get the yeah, heck out of there 
<laughs> right, and it's kind of like, you know, things do happen at the last minute, and then if it's, like, real serious and I'm kind of stuck in the situation, for example, living in 207 years ago, on a day-to-day basis, it's I have to block it, and it's pretty much out of sight, out of mind. You can't pay it any attention. It's kind of negative energy I see is like a child looking for negative attention. It does things to you to get that feedback, and you don't want to give that feedback. You don't want to look into it because that leads to a host of other problems. So prayers, um, meditating is a big thing I do too. And uh, just a bunch of different little things. I have a prayer book, depending, you know, what I'm feeling. I'll whip that out. It's just a little one, but it's got a bunch of stuff in it. So a colorful collection of remedies. Well, I think that you need lots of tools in your arsenal. So Because it doesn't always work. What doesn't work one time may work the next time. Yeah. Yeah. And my rosary beads, I forgot that, too. I I whip those out on occasion. Yeah. Cheryl, so, we're going to ask her something. No, I, that makes a lot of sense, and I, I'm really glad to hear these different things that both of you employ. And I, and I think, um, Jill, you said something that I just want to um, talk about real quick. If you're feeling negative energy, it's not necessarily something evil, right? It's something maybe trying to get your attention in the wrong way, or, you know, it's not how maybe... Um, you, you know, you've seen a movie or reading a book where, you know, if you, you know, if you're feeling really scared or, or, you know, maybe you have this strange feeling, something bad's going to happen. It's it's not necessarily evil, right? Correct. And well, as you probably are aware, evil can transform itself and make itself seem Mm non-assuming. However, you're right. There are things that are just, if it's a spirit, or something of that nature. Sometimes they just want regular attention, and and they're heavy, meaning their energy is heavy, and whatever that imprint was. So that's nothing to fear. Usually, once you hone in on what that energy is, it's a good indication. I don't like to freak out and run away. I'm one, (laughs) even if I have to remove myself from the situation, I deal with it. And, again, it goes to the, if it's something that seems really, really bad, you don't want to add chaos to it and react, you know, in a way that's going to zap you even more. Yeah, that's right, because when you add fear to the equation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's kind of like how I talk about that you need to be in a good frame of mind when you're going to be doing this kind of stuff. So if you're frightened then you do need to get, remove yourself for a minute to get control of yourself because it can add that energy, like Jill is saying. So, okay, what if... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Jill. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say one of the biggest things that you just mentioned is you always have to keep in mind you ha- you're in control of the situation. And, mm-hmm. and again, you know, like you said, you don't want to lose control because that it just creates a whole bunch of... Like yeah. domino effect. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, can, being in control of the situation is a good one. So should you engage whatever's there? For instance, what I mean is, uh, tell it it's making you uncomfortable. Can you please stop doing that? Or sh- should you not engage because you don't know what's on the other end or who's on the other end? Well, from my perspective as a medium, I'll have a good idea what it is. Okay. For example, and mm-hmm. there are varying degrees. 
um, maybe two or three other times in my life have I ever encountered anything like the energy I felt in 207. Mm -hmm. That is a level that I block, meaning I don't, you you don't want to pay it any attention. You don't engage it. Right. You don't engage it whatsoever. If it's a spirit and there's some reason, whether it's sadness, because sadness can create that heavy feeling too. But it's different, Jill. Yeah, it is. It's it's different. I mean, I've come across one, one time ever, and it's different. It was, you know, I've always felt that heavy stuff, but boy, the really negative stuff, you know it the second you feel it. Absolutely. It's it's very different. And and that's very true. And I think what is important for anybody listening to realize is you have so many people that are running around I'm not going to say how or where, but let's just say so. through social media, you see some people's pages. They're like, oh, I have another de- demonic case I'm going to yeah. to get rid of. the." And I'm like, you know what? They're there, but the <laughs> the commonality of them is few and far between. It's very mm-hmm. rare. Right. So you're right. When you do feel that, you know it, and that's something you never forget. And actually, it gauges you for these other, like the sadness or... Uh, it could just be, let's just say, it could be you walk into a room and people have been fighting and it's an imprint in the environment that's just, like, negative. You know what okay. I mean? It's not even a spirit thing. It's just an yeah. energy thing. Yeah. So, yeah, different levels. Hmm. Okay. Well, and there are things, if it's negative energy that's been generated by, you know, say I'm sitting in my living room fighting with Jim. And I leave and I come back and that energy is still hanging there. There are things that I can do to dissipate that energy. Yes. Yeah. You know. That's right. So yeah. you don't, but but if it's um, that negative energy, and, and by negative energy, I'm talking extremely dark, black, negative energy. And it's that mm-hmm. negative energy with consciousness. I think, I agree. I think you don't engage it. I think you get yourself out of there and you don't engage it and you get somebody who's trained. That's and who, right. who has the religious and philosophical background and training to deal with that. I don't think any any paranormal team who actually is feels like what they're dealing with are demonic cases, and they don't have somebody with that religious background on the team, I would really caution them to um, rethink that strategy. Absolutely. And that's I learned a lot with the research for the second book. I spoke with three different priests in different states just to kind of get a collective, all of the Roman Catholic faith, and then I spoke with a pastor. Uh, And everybody agrees, really, across the different religions that this is something with these darker energies, you cannot go in there, pardon the expression, half-assed and fool around with it. Um, It's like, you know, going into poking a beehive and just ignoring it, you know, people will drive themselves crazy if they don't ignore it and they overthink it, that causes a lowering of your threshold. That's what it wants to do. It wants to wear you down mm-hmm. if it's truly, truly dark and negative. So mm-hmm. it's really you have to, there's a medical term, and it's called compart, com, compartmentalizing everything. Like there are different things you have to get through in an emergency situation to yeah. get you through it. You can't yeah. pay attention to the periphery, and that's what you have to do in those cases that are really that bad. Yep, I agree with you. I, I I think that's good common sense, listeners. Yeah. We we have a question from chat. It's from Elaine. She wants to know if you ever work with teams. 
Yes, I have. Yeah. How often? M- meaning of mm-hmm. spirit-wise, meaning like as psychically and things of that nature? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I have. How does that work for you? <coughs> What's your role when you do that? Well, the primary role is, first of all, to meet with the guardian or the parent. Usually that's how I'm contacted. And just to get a really good handle on the whole thing. It's like a little bit of a case study. As you do an investigation, you have to find out a lot of different things. It's kept confidential. You know, what is the history of the family? What is the history of the environment? (laughs) What what is going on that could be affecting them. Teens are really hard because there's so much going on in their lives in many different ways, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then, you know, they're right at that threshold where some of them are having these breakthroughs that are truly psychic or sensitive. They're really, it's a tough age. And my goal is to educate the parents as a psychic and medium and just say, You know, this is what you have to look for. You have to really, again, you can't just say, okay, you have gifts or you have this or you have this. A lot of things need to come into play, but it's to provide comfort and support and steer them in a direction to, you know, really start seeing if they do have abilities, uh, not to really a big thing that I cannot impress upon listeners is, you never want to put them down. You never want to say, oh, you're full of beans. You have yeah. to give them reassurance because it's it's a difficult time, obviously. Um, but really, it's, again, to foster communication across the parent and then as a mentor, I guess you could say, and just kind of, you know, see what develops. It's not an easy thing. It's nothing that takes like a day or two. It's something that, you know, takes a little bit of time. Do you see more families and or, um, you know, y- younger children or teenagers coming forward um, with these types of abilities than maybe in the past? I do. There are, again, they run the spectrum. There are people that clearly have had abilities that have for decades been too afraid to discuss them, mm-hmm. but since the whole um ghost hunting show phenomena. The paranormal renaissance. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good one. It's really, it's kind of encouraged people to speak more openly about it. And I really, it's interesting, the older generations that have, oh, you know, and they truly have abilities. It's demonstrated with, you know, different things that, you know, witness accounts and so on and so forth. But it's interesting because they are the ones that are actually more afraid of speaking of these things than the younger crowd because I think the younger yeah. ones are now you know in tune with TV and things of that nature but um, little ones it's I, my favorites are the little kids because I say little kids I'd say 10 and under and the reason I say that is because they're like sponges and yeah. a lot of times the younger they are the, they really they're speaking their mind they're really you know it's very emotionally connected but that's how once kids start going to school and cognitively learning logical things, we tend to let go of what we've been given naturally, these gifts. You know, we're all, we all have intuition. We all fight or flight. And I just think it's really interesting to see smaller children develop their abilities that are truly 
psychic. It's really interesting. Yeah, well, you know, I always say that we we are born knowing exactly who we are, and then we begin the process of forgetting. And once we do, when we're about five or six years old, it mm-hmm. takes us, sometimes we don't do it in a lifetime, sometimes it takes us a lifetime. We spend the rest of our lives trying to remember who we really are. Interesting. So that's what I that's what I believe. Okay, so question in chat. Someone wants to know if you teach classes. No, I don't. No. no. Okay. Um, so yeah. let's talk. Let's talk about saints, sinners, and sacred ground. So it is the the prequel and the sequel to two hundred seven and two hundred seven. Of course, why don't you give a quick synopsis of two hundred seven, if you can, so that then people understand what we mean by the pre. What you know, and go from there. 207 actually was the address, 207 19th Street in Waterville, that I had moved into when I was five months pregnant with my first husband back in 1988. From the start, from the mention of moving into this big old home, I had a bad feeling. And that's kind of where the psychic mediumship thing comes in. And we, for a lack of... um, Better judgment, I guess you could say, we moved into it anyway, and almost immediately things started going on, uh, more so with my husband's behavior, and it, he totally spiraled downhill. I'm talking completely did a reversal. Adding into that, we had friends come over. They had experiences. Family members that would come over had experiences and it progressively got worse. It became more violent. Um, the atmosphere, all I can tell you is, is it was supercharged. And it ended up within about 11 months, I left the house with my son who had been born and went to live with my mom. And in June of 1989, he remained at the house. And um, he came over for visitation and basically surprised me, my son, my mom. He brought a shotgun into the house, unbeknownst to us, um, in a paper bag. He had dismembered it or disassembled it, I'm sorry, and had put it back together and um, had cornered my son and I um, and tried to kill us. And my mom saved us. My mom saved us. And um, it was almost immediately after he went back to 207 that he he fled the house. It's a very long story. 207 gets into the whole thing. But um, he went back to 207 and committed suicide that night. Mm. Well, two weeks after he died, the landlord called me and said, you know, I can't believe this is happening again. And that's actually something that has long been in the back of my mind, my family's mind, uh, you know, what did he mean? He said that when his brother, Joe, had owned the house 30 years before, 1989, um, a man also shot and killed himself in the same room. And that I, it just was so stunning to hear that because a lot of things started making sense at that point. And our priest my grandmother, who was highly psychic at, um, when she was alive, she had always thought uh, there was some connection between the church up the street, 300 feet west of the house, and I had seen an apparition on Christmas. It was either Christmas Eve or Christmas morning of 1988 of a priest. 
uh, standing in front of the tree. And through research, I had always said, I'm going to go, I'm going to write this book. I'm going to figure out what went on in that house at some point. Yeah. I don't want, and, and that's kind of where saints came from. I went way back in history and then brought it to present day. So, so was it in doing that, was there a kind of, because you clearly went through just horrible things. And I, I know that you are in a place in your life where you have moved past that, that it was a long time ago and that you're at a good place in your life and all of that. But was there some catharsis in doing Saints and Sinners then? There was and there wasn't, actually. I knew that there was at least one other person who died in that house, meaning mm-hmm. just from my, what my landlord said after my husband died. And yeah. having lived there, there was this, I knew the priest, but it was kind of a false, it was a very dualistic type of presence. There was um, something else going on that was much more powerful, like almost controlling the apparition of the priest. And I was always afraid to really go in and look at it. And I say afraid because it's like once you open that can of worms, and I even said this at the end of the book, not only did I open a can of worms, it was like a bucket of snakes because... Uh It was one thing after another. Fourteen people, fourteen residents died in the house. Three of them committed suicide. Three committed suicide. And just the history of the house in the city alone, it was very, it it jaded me quite a bit. There were times when I just was like, not another one, meaning another resident death. I never thought it would get to that number. Sure. I was thinking maybe three, four. Yeah. So, yeah, it was hard. Well, was you know, this is a question that I always have, and it sounds flip, and, I, and it's not intended to be. But I hear people tell stories of moving into houses, and they say things like, when I first went into the house, I had a really bad feeling. You know, the house, I was nervous about this house. I mean, all sorts of things like that. And their next line is, and then I bought the house, or and then I moved in. How does how does one go from, how, how, how do you get there? Well, in my case, and I can only speak for myself. Sure. You know, actually, some other people have discussed this in some cases I've worked on. Uh-huh. For, me, for me, it was, I was emotionally fighting moving into that house. Logically, okay. my husband was saying... Jill, we need to be here because our good friend is right next door. She's going to be babysitting the baby when he's born, when you go back to work. It's right up the street from work, blah, 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 blah. It, it From a logical perspective, it made yeah. sense. From a psychic perspective, it made sense, but it was not logical. Yeah. So I, I relinquished to the fact that, okay, uh, Sarah's next door and her husband and there are good friends and she's my sitter and work for my husband is right across the bridge and it just was the logical thing to do and I figured being young I had never encountered as a medium psychic something that bad so that too came into play whereas I knew it was bad and I blocked it when my grandmother was mentoring me but I didn't realize how bad it was until it was too late so yeah. yeah. So I have a question about that. You say you realized it too late. A lot of people yeah. may not realize that their home has spirit activity before they move in, but they come to find that out and they just can't move because either they can't afford it, they have nowhere to go or for some yeah. other reason. So when you found out, 
what was that pro what what happened what did you do what was happening as far as the paranormal activity and how come you couldn't just leave financially well financially it wasn't a viable thing to do mm -hmm. um sure. again my sitter my sitter was literally right behind the house mm -hmm. yeah and that'd be a big one for oh, me yeah. too i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah <laughs> and 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 it's it, the comfort of having your close friends there as well as logistics and monetary purposes and so on and so forth and really i was like i'm always going to come up with the um as bad as this may be i'm not going to let it win so i was just yeah. trying to you know plow through day by day mm -hmm, sure um, so that's pretty much where i came from at the time that's a good point because they think a lot of people they have ownership, you know, in, in their home where they live. They don't want to feel pushed out, especially not by something they can't really see or or interact with in a, in a physical way. So, right. I th yeah, I think that's a really good point. And um, what what type of activity w was going on um, at the at the maybe the strength of, of what was happening with you and your family? With me, well, the interesting thing is physical attacks did not happen directly towards me. They happened to one of my husband's good friends who spent the night three times. And then my best friend had a very bad experience to the point she never went back to the house. She said, I, I love you guys, but I am not stepping foot in that house again. Well, she was actually babysitting. And uh, she was extremely unnerved by the whole thing so physically it was people that were coming into the house now my husband it was a he my husband was a social drinker he actually went totally off the deep end by the time i'd say spring of 89 and a lot of people have commented oh well this sounds like it's just depression and alcoholism it's not demonic and one thing i want to make clear to everybody is you have to understand that those are gateways. Um, yes. Just like certain mental illness, even sleep deprivation. Even is, emotional is, upheaval. Absolutely. Yeah. So these are, but people don't see, people that really don't know about the paranormal or aren't really aware of that, you know, they'll say, oh, well, he was drinking. Yes, he was drinking, and he smoked pot from time to time, but that's not, when you put that, it, when you put a person that does those things into an environment like that, it's like the perfect storm. And he was suffering the attack. He went through an oppression, and then it looks with hindsight like he did go through a possession. I can tell you the day or the night he had us backed into that corner, I hope I never, ever see anything like that again because it was not him. It, it, he, my mother mm. said that, and my mom's a registered nurse. My mother's yeah. seen all sorts of crazy people in the ER. Sure. And I say that meaning, you know, strung out or whatever. Absolutely. He, he was, his face was not the same. His eyes were not the same. His voice was not the same. His mannerisms were not the same. I cannot explain it. And mm. that, it had gotten to that point where... He went back to the house after just like my mother de-escalated the situation enough to the point where it was like a light switch went off, just like out of maybe 10 minutes of him 
saying what he was going to do and having the gun right up against basically two feet away from my chest and my son because I was holding my son at the time. <sighs> and my mom came and stood in front of him and shielded us and it was like a light switch but then he left and he went back to 207 and he shot himself but so he suffered the brunt of the and it was like he'd have mind slips which he never had he would do really weird very strange uncharacteristic things um and then have no recollection um even if he didn't, you know, on a weekend, if he wasn't, you know, drinking, watching a game or something, it would happen just sporadically. Um, as far as activity went, we had, which I go into this, this is so strange, in Saints, because I had forgotten to mention the knockings, which was really very peculiar. We had a series of knockings that began shortly after moving in, and it was always at the, the I lived on the second floor flat. It was always at the, the door coming into the flat from the front of the house, and nobody was ever there. And the first time it happened, they made fun of me. And I then it happened when my husband was there, and he ran out into the hall thinking somebody had gotten into downstairs and was fooling around, and there was nobody there. And as... This It kind of progressed, and it, the last episode was very peculiar because it was almost like, I don't know if it was me being psychic, I felt the vibration first. And mm. then the door started rattling, literally, and then I heard the bangs, and it was very, very scary. Um, fortunately, the people that moved in after my husband died also experienced some similar activity and we had things come off this one wall you couldn't put anything this or this one object no matter what wall you put it up on it would fall to the ground um to the point it shattered we couldn't even fix it anymore um there was a haze in the front room which i really think was a, a vortex i really think the front living room i get into that in saints um, as far as the possible cause to this, but everybody that went into that unit said the same thing. This mm. is this beautiful old flat, but the living room, it was like it sucked the life out of you. And it, you, it was just like a haze. I can't explain it. No, I've been places um, like that. I understand what you're saying. Ugh. Yeah, so yeah. A, lot of, um, a lot of different things, uh, just very uncomfortable, extremely uncomfortable. So... How do you not emerge? How do you emerge from that unscathed? Have you had things like PTSD? Have you had counseling? How how did you get through that to this good place that you are in your life now? Yes, I still have post traumatic stress disorder, um, and yes, I did go through counseling, and I recommend that for anybody. The way I look at counseling is that it doesn't mean you're weak. It means you want to make yourself better and or make a situation better to help you and your the people that you love that are around you and that sure. was it was it was awful i like I said um you know there are certain things when I start getting into details of what happened that night i I even just talking a little bit about about it tonight, you know my heart rate increases, I yeah. get sweaty, I get nauseous. Um, there, I still cry over it sometimes oh, when I'm yeah. discussing the details and what was going on. And um, 
that is post-traumatic stress. And the counseling does, it, it, it helped. It really did. It, you know, people have to find a way to get through these things. And talking is, I really advocate for talking. It's one of the best medicines out there. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you were researching for your latest book, it seems to me, and again, I, I already, you know, told you off the air that unfortunately I haven't read it because that's just the way I am, <laughs> apparently. But um, it seems to me that what you found was that it wasn't just this one house. No. The house, okay, there was a connection as the research went on, a lot of things started falling together. I had an incident occur uh, when I remarried after my first husband died, uh, and my son was three at the time, or just about three or so, and we moved out into western New York State. And I had not, the whole time since his Jim's death, I had not had any kind of breakthrough. There was one instance right after he died that I documented in 207 that occurred, and we blessed the house. Our priest was on the phone with us. My grandmother was blessing the house, and it stopped. That was right after Jim died. But, you know, you move forward, and nothing was going on until I'm in western New York State, and my son was the one who actually had a very bad experience that made us call our priest out there because it was really crazy. Um, he actually was napping. He had no knowledge. He was only eight, nine months old when his dad died. Um, we'd never spoken about anything around him. Family knew that. Nobody spoke about it. Um, he actually said there was a man in black which I had not heard or anything about the man in black, which was what I saw the priest in front of the Christmas tree. And until my son came rushing into the kitchen after taking a nap one afternoon, almost exactly on the anniversary, it was like a day or two prior to the anniversary of his father's death. And he said the man had no head and wanted him to go see his mother. And that freaked everybody mm. out because we could not understand why now, why all of a sudden? So through the research, as I found, the priest that built the new church just west of 207, as ironic as it is, he was, when he first came to the United States, he was in Albany for a short period, and then he went out to western New York State and was about three miles down the road at the church from where I had moved to in western New York State for 10 years. And I had... Every time I go home, even now, when I'm back up in that area, I have my own set of protection that I do because I don't want it to come around me. I've investigated the property a couple years ago, and uh, I just increased my, my protection. But here I was out in western New York State. I don't think I was prepared. I didn't think, you know, I'm all this ways away. Nothing's going to really happen. And it did. And the conclusion was... I think we're onto something here with the priest because something it's no coincidence that this priest was at the church right down the street. Mm. <laughs> and that's documented in fact. And then when um I started looking into him 
and really examining where he came from and the order of monks that he had um, gone to monastery for, uh, everything was just, he was, the priest was heavily, heavily influenced by Christian mysticism. And that's common for the 1800s, the mid to late 1800s, especially with the European priests that came over, especially the Irish priests, and that's what he was. And I get into the whole research with that, and I really think 207, as I said in the book, I explained the priest's past and the correlation with the mysticism with the Catholic priest and his fascination with Lourdes, France, which is how he modeled the church right down the street from 207. Mm-hmm. And that was all based on Christian mysticism, the apparitions of Mary. And um, I think, really, an exorcism was performed in that house and it went wrong and something. Then you go into the fact of it was also uh, a sacred ground, which is documented. I get very much into that. Um, Many Indian burial remains found scattered all over the city and the area and whatnot. Um, there was a massacre. Hundreds were killed. I oh, have my. Been, you know, and that's right there, right where 207 was in the general area of the Congress Street Bridge up to where the high school is. The high school in Waterville has also been extremely active. And as a matter of fact, I learned through the research that the class of 2000, um, they believe that the class was cursed. They believe the city's cursed. A lot of, especially the older residents that, you know, are aware of the the first book and that I interviewed for the second book really started talking about for a long time because of the high number of suicide uh, in that area that they felt that something was cursed. And I really think with the house being um, as active as it was, and there is, documentation that I I included in Saints where one of the former owners was very close to the priest and without a doubt I'm sure the priest was there so you know obviously exorcisms have always been kept secret um, meaning in the Catholic religion Um, I speculate what may have happened is this fascination that he had he may have gotten in over his head something may have happened at the house and it kind of between the different levels between the Native Americans during the canal period, it was known as Murder Town um, because it was dead bodies all over the place, seriously, through the 1800s. And then he, I think something, he brought something up that just didn't go away because the first death documented that I found in the house was a little girl in 1868. And then there were a few homeowners that died but the the highest number of deaths occurred between 1942 and 1992 and that's odd because in a house that old you would think okay so most of the deaths occurred in the 1800s or the early 1900s but that's not the, the case and the suicide prevalence increased closer to 1992 and the house was torn down in 99 so. so we're getting a lot of questions from chat, and I wanted to um, go through those with you. But we're actually up against our top-of-the-hour break. So you can stick around, right? Sure. Okay, so let's do this. We'll go to our break. When we come back, I will ask you some of the excellent questions we've been getting from chat. So stick around, everybody. We're talking to Jill Marie Morris. The book is Saints, Sinners, and Sinners 
and Sacred Ground, and this is Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. We'll be right back. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at Paranormal UG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. Hi, I'm Chuck G. Come join me on my new show called In the Dark Radio. From topics such as ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, and more, this is a show you don't want to miss. So stay tuned right here on the Hazy Network from 11 p.m. to 12 a.m. Eastern, right after Paranormal Underground. And let's keep the radio rolling. dual compound miter saw while holding a newborn baby in your arms 
when face to face with a congregation of alligators, with the ball in your hands and the entire freaking season on the line. There are a million places you'd never consider texting. So parents, why would you do it while driving? On what NASCAR driver Casey Kane here, asking you to please stop the text, and together we can stop the wrecks. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Get the message at stoptextstoprex.org. Hi, this is Hazy, and you're listening to the Hazy Radio Network. Hey everyone, welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio on Hazy Radio. We are back with our guest, Jill Marie Morris, and we are having uh, some pretty intense conversation here about Jill's experiences and her two books, 207, and the latest one is Saints, Sinners, and Sacred Ground. Did I say the title right? <laughs> yes, you did. Okay, yay! Um, <laughs> Yeah, we have a couple questions from Chad, as Karen uh, mentioned before we went on the break. And one has to do with something we were just talking about. Jill, you mentioned the high number of suicides at 207 and the immediate area, surrounding area. And so Chad was wondering, in your research, how many suicides have you come across um, in that area? I can tell you, once the book came out, it was, I actually had to stop reading my email for about two weeks because it opened up a floodgate. Mm. I can tell you, there were three in the house, one of which was my husband. Oh, 14 deaths. Wow. And, and more recently, the suicides. Now, in the immediate area, I can tell you, as of today, within about a 12-year period, there's been... Well, there's a total of, since my husband died, of almost 60. Wow. Yeah. It's like, well, what's, okay. Six, zero. It's so, okay, so. are unbelievably high. I was going to say, so in an average small town or an average, I mean, can you can you put that in context? Yeah, okay. The population has steadily declined with the exception of the past few years. It's gone up a couple hundred here and there, but... It's around 10,000. It's 1.5 square miles. It's a tiny, tiny city, okay? And, again, the population, I think, is close to about 10,000 right now, but it's steadily, since 1950-something, it's declined. It used to be quite the place. For And it's not a ghetto, okay? That's one thing I want to make really clear. It's a very old town of immigrants, that have raised their family there for years, hardworking people, white-collar, blue-collar neighborhoods. Um, it's nothing like you would say. It's not like Skid Row or anything of that nature. What is so crazy is that you have these people that are just snapping, and most of them are male. Now, during my research, I said, well, this is interesting because all but two of the suicides that I'm aware of all of them, minus two, are men. Um, with that said, at first I was thinking, well, you know, men traditionally have taken more weight on their shoulders as the, you know, breadwinners, as, you know, they're they're out there working hard and trying to raise their families and times, you know, been not so great. But we're talking the gamut of ages is shocking. We have young kids that are doing it. We have older people that are doing it. We have people that nobody had very upstanding citizens in the community. Um, 
they just had another one about a month and a half, two months ago that really knocked them for a loop. I can't say much about that, but it was highly publicized. And this person um, never, you know, there's depression that comes into play, but then the common thread between most of these is that they start exhibiting very strange behavior. And that was what was so spooky to me. Now, a priest told me that what's interesting about these male suicides is that the men, this is more biblical, okay, from a Christian-ish perspective. As it was explained to me, males carry the seed of life. And if you're looking at something that's more demonic in nature, they're going to destroy the, the bear, like the females bear the life, but they're going to destroy the seed of the okay. creation. So, so with... Real quickly, with regards to the suicides in the town among the men, Patty asks, is it a military town, and could that be part of the reason if it is? It's not really a military town. The arsenal has long since um, slowly, you know, it's, okay. it's more or less a lab. But no, it's not a military town. And okay. like I said, no. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Keep going with what you were saying. I just wanted to get that in there. <laughs> No, no, no. It's it's pretty much um, there are people that are have walked into their backyards and just for no reason blown their heads off. There have been people that opened up their front doors and for no reason have blown their heads off. There are people that have hung themselves. They're going back to the church. The one thing that was extremely upsetting out of the two females was the young girl who in 2000 had um, committed suicide in the church parking lot and she asphyxiated herself by hooking the hose from the exhaust into the car and she mutilated her arms she carved also it is just the most bizarre thing but they're they're just um increasing in intensity and the other interesting thing that i found which really was very spooky is that there have been um mass murderers from there there have been people that have the murder just like the star basketball player a few years ago butchered his girlfriend and his eight-month-old baby there a couple back last spring very close to the church all this stuff is going on um a couple got into a fight two men and butchered each other well the one butchered the other one it's mm. just, it's crazy. Something is very unstable. And it's not, like I said, these aren't people that are down on their luck, you know, losing their jobs. These, This is not the situation. A couple have been terminally ill, but even then it's kind of odd that you would take a gun and choose to end your life that way. Yeah. Have they you tested I mean? the water? That was one of the things I bring up in Saints. I, I strongly recommend they start with, geological issues like water testing mineral soil testing um i've even thought of um you know what do you call it like radon gas yes exactly radon gas or something something is not right and but the land again when you go look at the history the documented history it has been for centuries unstable and we're talking heavily like massacres we're talking murders. I, it's been this way forever. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of people think the Indians cursed it. I spoke with the, the head, Doug uh, Kinateo. He's, I discussed him and actually cited the emails in the book from him. Um, you know, there was 
an Indian massacre that left several hundred dead right there. And this is going back several hundred years ago. So there's always been this negative attribute to that exact vicinity. So what it is, I really think they need to start at, let's rule out air, let's rule out water, let's, you know what I mean, do a real Mm -hmm. good investigation. Yeah. So, Jill, you talked a little bit ago about the class of 2000, I'm guessing you mean the high school class of 2000 in the city, um, feeling that their class was cursed. What did you mean by that? Okay, yeah, they lost seven, um, most of them suicides. Wow. And one was, I think one was in Afghanistan. He was killed in action. But the the class of 2000 was um, hit real hard. Now, interestingly enough, and and this has been discussed with the residents in me about what's going on, the correlation when they uh, redeveloped that block was 99 into 2000. But the class of two, the graduating class of 2000 um, had, I think, seven seven or eight deaths and most of them were suicides all but the oh uh, marine is, i think he was a marine it's kind of shocking so i'm i'm going to interject a question here that's, that's a little bit out in left field but um chad wants to know if there are any type of ufo sightings in the area or other types of high strangeness involving possibly cryptids or other types of paranormal activity besides the um the uh the the ghosts and and hauntings type activity. That's right, because we don't think there's enough going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chad, <laughs> for know, opening up a, that. That's a great question because yeah, it is. I have to tell you, there is a high number, there have been a high number of sightings in from just north of Waterville into the Catskill region. And I can tell you, this is terrible but I'm just being perfectly honest. I used to say, oh, there's no UFOs. This is a long time ago, okay? Yeah. I saw something I will never, ever forget with my sons. And I'll tell you, at that point, and interestingly enough, I did call it in, and other people called it in, and it was in the newspapers, but that is a hot spot. That whole area is... Wow. Yeah, there seems like there would be a connection with all of this, that, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's a good question. We were just talking with our guests last week mm-hmm. about um, about how there seem to be connections between, <laughs> excuse me, UFOs and cryptids and hauntings. And so, mm-hmm. interesting. Wow, wow interesting. Yeah. Um, I think Karma Cookie from chat has a good question, and they want to know, how does a particular ground become sacred, and what typically is the result of it being sacred? Another great question. This particular sacred ground was established by uh, Skena Wahari. That was his Indian given name. And he was an Iroquois Indian uh, of the Mohawk tribe hundreds of years ago. And he, when the whole, um, the, the Albany area, Albany County, Waterville, um, area was saturated with mainly Mohican Iroquois Indians to the north of the county with some Algonquian Indians um, in Waterville as well. Skenawahari wanted to establish the Tree of Peace and I incorporated the whole story and the history of him in the book because it's when they went to the different 
tribes, the Seneca, the Cayuga, and whatnot, to establish a peaceful nation. Um, they were trying to recruit other tribes, too, into this. And what ended up happening is they took him, Shkenawahari, to the Cahos Falls, which is just a couple miles north of 207, and they tested him, and they cut the branch that he was standing on, and he fell into the river, which if you ever Google a picture of the Cohoes Falls, that's nothing you fool around with and survive, okay? okay? And he fell into the river, and the next day he was found at a campsite having coffee. Hmm. <laughs> Seriously, he lived, hey. and they deemed it um, one of the sacred grounds. And the Mohawk Indians, even today have gone and paid tribute to the Cohoes Falls and the sacred space, it's a designated official sacred space from the Cohoes Falls down to Port Schuyler and Waterville Eats right in the middle, okay? And what happened was when it, the area became industrialized, the land was taken away from them and Brookfield, Brookfield Power actually bought up that land at the falls, but the Mohawk tribes, the um, people were still sneaking in, and it's been a big problem um, because it is their sacred ground, and they pay tribute to it, and it's a very dangerous place because of power lines and because of the falls. So last May, as coincidence would have it, Brookfield Power decided to do something and gave back 100 acres of the land to the Iroquois, um, to the Hiawatha Institute and they're redeveloping that 100 acres into more of a cultural space. So it is an actual designated sacred ground. Now, if you go backwards in time, another indication of sacred ground is, and this was discussed with Doug, is that sometimes there's something very bad or negative in an, a land, and the Native Americans would feed it good, positive things, which they did with this from the Cohoes Falls down to Port Schuyler. It was a celebratory ground whether you know not knowing whether it was bad and they were just feeding it good energy remains to be seen but that's something that has to be considered because again this is something that is so old um, and the land has been tainted so negatively layers upon layers of um, centuries so it's hard to say you know was it just Skenawahari being cut from the branch it was established as a uh, gathering ground for all of the tribes in the Northeast that were part of this um, nation to gather, mm -hmm. and uh, until it was pulled away from them. So, so that okay. So, so you had also mentioned um, about the land possibly being cursed, or or other people think that it could be cursed, possibly yeah. maybe by by the by the uh, Native Americans. But one of our questions from chat. Um, she wants to know, can you further explain what you mean by cursed? Okay, there's two. Some people think that the Native Americans cursed the land when the settlers took, because the settlers ripped the land away from the, mm -hmm. the tribe, the Algonquian, more so the Mohawks, or the Iroquois. And it was a bad, bad situation, because really in the colonists and the settlers were land thieves, and they basically, we pushed them out of their area, um, really, I get into all that in saints. So with the massacre that took place, in the, there is a very specific ritual that the Native Americans have to do when they pass, when they have people that pass, and if they're not 
these rituals and customs are not followed, it leads the spirit to unrest. And I that's why I included the email from Doug, a couple of the emails from him explaining this. Mm-hmm. And um, essentially, so that's one part of the curse. Now, after the settlers came in and then during the 1800s, during the canal period, Waterville was predominantly Irish. It was a huge Irish town. And some of the older residents feel that some people, the Irish, it's an Irish curse. It depends who you're talking to. Okay. <laughs> um, but there are older residents that feel that, and I haven't gotten into the whole curse thing. It's just so broad. Yeah. Um, well, there's really no way to know, you know. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so let me see. I, we have more questions from Chad. I just have to scroll back up to them. <laughs> um, okay, so... Um, somebody wanted to know if anyone has tried to contact the spirits in the town to see what keeps them there. The, I have done some house readings um, during my research for the book and whatnot and have gone to, and I've included a few of those in the book. Um, there, there's spirits all over the place. And there, for the most part, there are some noisy ones from all different periods and there's just a lot of activity there, but the the one, the really dangerous one energy that seems to be concentrated between the church and 207, and that's where all the crime in this very home-established environment and where all the suicides take place, mm-hmm. this is not a spirit, I don't think. This is, like I said, this is an evil, this is a darkness that has no no gender it has no description uh that's why i feel it's been resurrected i i really strongly feel and in my opinion and i state this in saints based on looking at the priest's history and looking at the town's history i think something was pulled up in the 1800s during an exorcism that went wrong and it stayed and it's wreaked havoc continuously so to say for someone to want to channel that I think is being I've in speaking with the priest that I interviewed for the book is a very dangerous and irresponsible thing to do okay well and that leads to the next question from Whitewater she says it sounds like only a religious person can fight against darkness why I don't think it depends what you mean by fight I mean you can use spiritual protection which is strongly encouraged doesn't matter what faith you are or even if you don't have a faith and you're a hodgepodge or a hybrid and you you just use these things for strength spiritual strength um but to fight as in like to cast out you have to be and we talked about this the three of us did during Mm -hmm. break you have Mm -hmm. to be highly trained and you can't do this by the seat of your pants thinking just because you saw it on tv that you can do this you are playing with fire it takes these priests and i actually in saints after interviewing the priests uh, get into a basic how they have to go through training and what they have to do and what goes on in an exorcism and one of the key points is too is that this information is kept confidential i had two people that came forward and this was probably the most upsetting to me in the whole book very close to 207 who who has had family members, two different families, who have didn't get into too much detail other than what happened to the family member, have had family members exercised by priests. But all that information is kept confidential. 
Sure. And there's a reason. There's a reason for it. So, so you, yes, you have to be religious and you have to be educated. So when we're talking about the education that a priest, and not every priest is trained. Now, exorcism is one of the sacraments, correct? I'm not Catholic, so... It's it's a solemn. It, there's the solemn rite of exorcism, and then you can perform an exorcism. And it's many different religions can do exorcisms, but the cat that's the one that I dealt, dove into was the Catholic. Yeah. And basically, one priest is has to undergo rigorous testing um, because it's very physically, mentally, emotionally depleting. Sure. And they have to be very strong, and they have to actually go to Vatican approved courses they have to study under an ordained exorcist and they have to um there's a whole series of things that they have to do and there is when you do perform an exorcism it's a confident confidentiality usually it initiates where a family member goes to a local priest and says we're having a problem we think they need you know, could you come help us out on the local level? The priest goes and interviews the the person that may be undergoing a possession or an oppression, and then the Catholic Church has to has a um, protocol, and one of the protocol is for the person to be sent and examined medically and psychologically. Sure. And when when that comes back, then it goes to the next level, so on and so forth, and it can take years, really. <sighs> So, but those priests exercise demons from people. What about Mm -hmm. places? They can do places as well. Now, that's where the problem is, is that I said, and I've said many times, you know, would it help if somebody performed an exorcism of the area? And I think the priests said it the best. There is no guarantee. So if anybody listening has ever been told or has heard of, I can guarantee I can get rid of the demon, whether it's in a space or whether it's in a person. That's wrong because there is no guarantee. It's a very dangerous situation because even though, let's say it's a person that's possessed, that demon or entity could flee that person and go to somebody in the room or in the neighborhood. It just may, it's going to find a new host, okay? And there's no guarantee where it's going to go. So as it was explain to me it's very dangerous because of the level of strength that this whatever it is seems to have that where where's it going to go if they did cast it you know what i mean it's like sending it to another neighborhood or you just don't know so it's it's really a very slippery slope um if it's yeah, person, it doesn't sound like I'd want to do it. something I'd want to do particularly. There's great no. responsibility with it as well. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's not can... a lark. I'm sorry. It's not a lark. It's not something that no. you know you go mess around with because you saw it in The Exorcist or something. No, and and one thing I want to make really clear. And and this was, you know, I can only speak from what I saw my husband go through. And he does, according to the priest and our priest at the time and whatnot, he, the protocol for an oppression into a possession, it was almost textbook, okay? And this was all hindsight that we realized what probably had gone on. With that said, even in cases where it's confirmed there's a possession 
and somebody, a priest is working on a possession. And I recently read something, and I'm not going to say too much about where that, you know, somebody witnessed somebody crawling on a wall. That does not ever happen. The crawling on the walls, you can get contorted body parts. You can get speech changes. You can get um, your pupils can be affected physically. You can have a whole bunch of different things go on. But heads don't spin. People don't crawl on walls. Um, the, I think I read. Really, I think I read the same thing you did. <laughs> yeah, I, read that, I probably I thought, did. I, I know what you you're know, talking about. <laughs> I, I thought, you know what? You're telling a really good story here, but no, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And but no, but that I want people to realize that because that's where ho- Hollywood has a job. Okay, their job is to, you know, make movies and make it's them to scary and get people get to entertain. Right, but in a true exorcism. According to all three priests, I spoke with a priest in California, a priest in Florida, and a priest in Albany, and all of them are ordained Catholic diocese diocese and priests. That doesn't happen. <laughs> and But they yeah. do get superhuman strength, which I witnessed with my husband. Um, it's phenomenal. And so there are things that they do that, that get exaggerated when you're doing a movie and so forth and make it, you know, sure. exciting or whatever. But sure. no, it's it's um, it's very dangerous physically. Um, people have gotten hurt. I have heard from the priests of quite a few things that went wrong during an exorcism. I've heard of an exorcism that it took the priests almost three years until the party was released of whatever was possessing them. Um, And the scary thing about that is another family member who was present, and anybody that is present in an exorcism, as far as the Catholic faith, you have to undergo, you have to go to confession. They encourage you to go to confession first. Um, There's a whole litany that the witnesses have to go through. But um, in one of the cases, I, I was told that a family member that was present during the exorcism, the person was released of whatever was possessing them, but a family member within a year was possessed. Wow. And it's freaky because that is scarier than, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So Frank wants to know if you've actually witnessed an exorcism. I have never witnessed an exorcism. Yeah, I don't know that I would want to. Um, No. So, but I'm going to have trouble phrasing this question. So uh, it's going to probably be long and rambling, but, you know, you've talked to me enough that, you know, that that's how I do it sometimes. Um, (laughs) So if... I'm trying to put myself, I'm, I'm empathic, that's one of my abilities, and so when I talk to someone, I instantly put myself in that situation, always, it's just, it's just I, I, you understand that, you're, you're, you're empathic yeah. as well, and so um, you're seeing this happen with your husband, mm-hmm. and on the one hand, stuff's getting real. On the other hand, there's got to be some skeptical part inside of you that's going, this isn't happening. I mean, there's got to be this tremendous cognitive dissonance going on. Was there? What did that feel like? And how do you, how do you reconcile all of that? Wow, that's pretty intense. It's, it's kind of interesting. I am an investigator. Anybody that knows me, and um, I have some good friends that, that I've done some work for, and they're just like, Wow, for a psychic medium, you like to debunk stuff, and that's yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, I'm <laughs> and, it, 
and but the thing is, yes, it did go on. But at the same time, I knew, like I said, I was 22 or 23, and I had never as a medium at that age had, had been exposed to anything as bad. So I was doing what my grandmother taught me. Don't. And, and I kept thinking, this has got to be really bad. And the really one of the telling, the most telling signs was how my husband reacted when my grandmother, and this was in 207, had come back from her trip to Italy and Poland with her church group. She met the Pope. She had the picture of her and the Pope together and was so proud of it, and put it in my husband's lap, and he went bananas. Hmm. Totally. He, it was, he took the crucifix off the bedroom wall, he threw the picture on the floor, and he left the house. But that can't feel real when it's happening. That's what my point is. It was like, what the heck just happened? Yeah. And and that's where it's like, what, you know, we're, it was so exaggerated to see, meaning yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at it and my mother and my grandmother are like, it's just a picture of my grandmother and the Pope. What, you know, why are you acting this way? And sure enough, it was, uh, but it, how do you it wrap, was a very telling sign. How do you wrap your brain around that? Well, I have to be honest with you. When my grandmother and our priest first said, when Jim had passed away, that um, the priest actually knew of the history of the house, which was really incredible. Um, He knew a little bit about it. And he was the one, he goes, I think Jim went through an oppression and possession. And um, he'd known Jim since he was little. And he even said, as soon as Jim moved into that house, he stopped going to church. You know, he just distanced himself from anything. Right, but my response to that would be, even having gone through it, would have been, no, he didn't. I mean, that would be my first response. Well, he, see, that's with witness. All this stuff is like, it's really weird. And when it was going on, I was like, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Not not thinking, I know something's really going on here. But again, nobody's mentioning oppression and possession until the point he died. And until that day, because or that night, because of everything that happened and like my mother said, she goes, you know, even people strung out on drugs that have come into the ER don't even look like that. You know, it yeah. was unnatural. It was something so bizarre. So it's kind of like this can't be happening. Like I was yeah. almost in denial. Like it can't. Yeah. No, no, no. It was bad. But no, 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 no. But yeah, it it appears to be. Yeah. So. I, I mean, if my if my husband has me and my son in a corner with a shotgun and his face is in his face and oh. his voice is in his voice, but it's him. I, I, I mean, that's a bad dream. That's, that's a nightmare I have, not something that happens in real life. It's scary. It's, that's where I, yeah. I just got really choked up. It's, it's something I don't, I hope nobody ever has to go through. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, I'm sorry to take you back to that. I'm no, sorry. No, no. Like I when say, I do that em- empathic thing, and I can start to feel that. And so yeah. then I have to ask. So, yeah, I, I, I'm it, sorry to take you back to that, because I know that, I mean, I, I, it's making me want to cry just thinking about it. it. It's it's hard. And even when, like, I saw the apparition on Christmas, it was either it was so late Christmas Eve it could have been Christmas morning early because yeah. we put up our tree at the last minute. Yeah. And when I saw that and I knew, and Jim was saying to me, "He's like what?" And I I'm like I'm not saying anything because I didn't want to set him off because things were it was right in the middle of 
living there, meaning we'd been there about six months, and things were not going well, and I'm like, I am not mentioning what I'm looking at to him. And I just sat there, and oh, that was the other thing, too. It's interesting. I was so hot. I think my blood pressure, I'm surprised I didn't have a heart attack, seriously, because that was yeah. really scary. But there were also, going backwards, paranormal things going on, these cold spots. We didn't have air conditioning. We didn't need it. We were on the second floor, really. And there was always a breeze in the summer, for the most part. Mm-hmm. But there were times when that front room was ice cold. And that's why I really think there was a, a downflow or an yeah. inflow vortex in that yeah. room. Um, but And even in those cases, like when Jim would comment, I'd feel it or he'd, I'd feel it and he'd feel it and say the same thing. So it, it, you're always thinking, you know, what the heck is going on here? And, and when it sure. happens, it's like, is it a dream? You know, is it? Yeah, how exactly. Did we, how did this, how did this happen? And then can, do you look back at, at, at it now and almost with a sense of disbelief, like how did I live through that? I do and I don't. And, and I have to tell you, I'm very strong. And anybody that knows me, even people that, might not like me always say you're you're so strong it's like very resilient is the word they use i i when it comes to spiritual things and that's really what i think life is about is your reaction and and your spiritual journey really yeah your physical physical but it's all spiritual what it comes down to yeah and i look at it this way especially since what i went through that night nothing on the face of the earth can has equated to that moment and anything if you're going to cry over spilt milk cry over spilt milk but i'm always going to find something to keep that strength up (laughs) to find you know so well but there's the the gift if i could live through that yeah yeah exactly and two there was a family and i get into this that moved into the house after we did that went through the husband um, almost killed her, and they fled the house. Mm. And it's, it's it's it is unreal, and that's kind of where it's just like you have to look at what what the good is through all this. It's a terrible tragedy, and these things happen to other people too. And it's like, what yeah. can I share to to help them? I yeah. guess in the end. Well, sure, so. and, and helping them helps you as well. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, I how I know your son was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, young enough that he probably never formed a conscious memory of it. But I work with kids who mm-hmm. go through terrible things when they're babies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I work as a, I, I don't anymore. I work as a, a guardian at litem and a court appointed special advocate for abused kids. And even children at that very young age of, you know, six, seven, eight months who have a traumatic experience, when they grow up, there's something of it there. I mean, you know, you were holding him. He he had to have felt and sensed your fear. How is he now? Oh, makes me cry. Sorry. I'm sorry. Um, he is, no. She's never going to okay. come on the he, show again. No, no, stop. Um, he is, both my kids are, but he, he yeah. is, considering everything, he is a humanitarian. He yeah. is always looking out for the other person. He has... The older he got, the more we told him. I I always said I'm not going to ever lie to him when he's old enough to understand what happened. You know, I didn't get into any of the ghosty things until well after he was an adult. But it was always like a little bit of information, never give him too much. 
age appropriate through his whole life. So when he finally, we told him, my best friends and my mom and my grandmother and I, um, he goes, you know, mom, I knew that he killed himself. He goes, I always knew it. And he goes, but that's okay. He goes, because it wasn't his fault and it wasn't anybody else's fault. And I thought that was such a strange thing to say. And he always has been like, um, he's very much, he wants a big family. He want, you know, it's very important yeah. to him. Um, he had a great stepdad. So it's kind of like, you know, th- I thank God for that. But he is so, he's very much, very spiritually secure. Um, he knows himself very well. And I, I guess all things considered, other than the one blip on the radar in Western New York, yeah, right, the, it, he's been great. <laughs> well, you know what? He lived through the worst as well. He may not remember it. No. But I think when you have that thing that happens like that, if you can reframe it in the right way, I mean, seriously, if you can get through that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I yeah, can't pay my power bill this month. <laughs> you know? <laughs> exactly. And that's kind of and that's kind of where it's like, um, you know, I, I credit my mother for saving us because yeah. I was dealing with the situation hysterically because I just was like sorry I I just yeah. was like please don't don't hurt him if you're going to kill us kill me and let me put yep. him down first and that's blah, another blah, blah. I would do the same thing yeah and and he was just it was awful and Jimmy the whole time I was holding him and I've said this before and it's just it, it's something to me that is just so amazing you would think he would have been and my mom and I have mentioned this often you would think a child at eight nine months old would have been screaming hysterically because of what he was acting like and because of my reaction yeah and he was just looking he was stunned as a baby the you knew he knew that wasn't normal for yeah. his the, it was so surreal, and that I just always will never forget the look in his face, ever, ever. Meaning I, I of my son's face or his dad's face, and yeah. um, he just—he's really—he's—he's he's a good kid, and he's married now, and he can't wait to, to start a family. And right, you know, yeah. So, so it has—it does have a happy ending for you guys. It does. I I am concerned. I've had, you know, I know the town, I got a little bit into this a little bit. I had to for research purposes because of the corruption in the city. Um, I faced a lot of obstacles I shouldn't have had to face writing the book, um, getting information. Um, a lot of doors were intentionally shut. There was a lot of shady things that went on. And to me, my concern has been the community as as a whole, Okay. This is this is documented problem of suicide in that community. Yeah. To the point people know there is a problem and only since Saint two oh seven it started coming out. When Saints came out, it's like I said, the floodgates opened. People I've had eighty seven year old fans, eighty something year old people come up to me in my book signings and are just like I I've always known this. My family has always gone through this and blah 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 blah. I, my concern is the community, and it just stinks that my whole 
purpose of writing 207 was a catharsis to help people, you know, be strong no matter what, be strong. And Saints was the, you know, the investigator in me. I want to know what the heck is going on here. And to have the best interest of the community at heart and then face this adversity is really weird. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but everything everything happens, everything happens for a reason. And yeah. so, I, I saints and saints is a step. It's it's another part in the process, and you don't know what's coming next, or maybe you do, but you know there's it's 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 a step. There's there's right. something else coming. I totally agree, and and if anybody, because I field this question a lot, they're like, oh, there's after they've read Saints, and they're like, oh my God, this was great, because tons of people will email me with their thoughts, but people are literally seriously afraid to post anything positive about the book because of the retaliation. I mean, my life was threatened over it last spring. Yeah. <laughs> seriously. Oh, I'm so sorry. So the whole thing is now that's okay. The whole thing is is that. You know, what I always say is, no, I'm not writing another book about saints. As a matter of fact, I'm working on a book, and it's a complete, it's a humorous look at life. It's a funny book. It's about true stories and laughter and so on and so forth. But, yeah, there is another story that could be written because Mm -hmm. there's so much there, and this community needs help. Well, and maybe that story is is the healing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's there. I, I think so. I hope so. There are a lot of very resilient people, young and old, in Waterville, and they they have suffered with the people that have passed sure. through su- suicide and whatnot. They have really suffered, and you know, I will always look at it as what can I do to help these people try to understand from my perspective. I had many weird things happen during the writing of the book. I had many contacts meaning spirit contacts um, and premonitions that were very unsettling that correlated with some very unsettling things that went on. And that's kind of what is a little concerning to me. Sure. Um, I d- talk about those in, Saint, uh, in Saints and um, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, it may be a blessing. It's really starting to be a commercial area with yeah. less residential. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe so. So I have a question, and I know we're running short on time, so um, hopefully it's it's not going to take a long time. Sorry about that. Um, Jill, do you think that the area near 207 can ever really get a more positive um, vibe? Do you think it can leave, if there is a curse, do you think they can get rid of it? Can it leave that negativity behind? I hope so. I have faith and hope and I'm going to tell you what I would like to happen I tried to talk to the mayor about this and was not received I've spoken with priests with pastors with uh, um, oh my goodness shaman I have spoken with a rabbi I would like to see something interfaith done my idea would be to surround the property take a couple blocks on the city sidewalks and just have people of all different faiths, all these participants, these religious leaders, these clergy people are willing to do this, but we're not allowed. And I just want to surround the area with positive vibration and energy and prayers for, A, the people that were killed, the Indians that were killed and not buried properly, 
for the canal people and the people that were murdered during the 1800s, because there were tons of them, and just for all of the souls that have been lost to suicide and whatnot, for the struggles that are obviously going on and have gone on for centuries. I think that, to me, that would be a step in the right direction. I'd like to see that happen, but because of the way the city is, I doubt it ever will. It gets it, every time I've mentioned it, it got shot down. That and is there too are people bad. willing people willing to do it, and that's I, what stinks. Yeah, I think it sounds fantastic. Yep. And Jill, I have to tell you, I truly be- do believe that that ultimately your purpose in this is that you're an agent of healing, and it may not seem like it. Um, to the people of the town, but I, I think that that's what you're about. So, um, And with that, we have come to the portion of the show that we call Shameless Self-Promotion Corner. So, <laughs> go for it. Uh, okay, you can find me at jillmurraymorris.com. You can also find me in Paranormal Underground Magazine, and as we know I have a new little column that will be coming out in April. It'll start to run Hollywood Ever After, which is all things spooky here in Southern California and Hollywood. And uh, Facebook, Jill Marie Morris, and on Twitter. I'm not very active on Twitter. I just, I haven't embraced the whole thing yet, but I do tweet on occasion. And that's, Yeah, I'm not good at Twitter either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh, one more thing i got to do. Um, Jill Morris 2013 i should probably update that but um yeah so i'm around and i have i do feel i have a blog it's uh, jillmariemorris.wordpress.com and the blog is subtitled where vortex meets the mosh pit the vortex is um a home that has an active upflow which is a great it's like the sedona desert there's a vortex in the house and Mm -hmm. i am manning that and some interesting things happened, and I will write about that. Or the mosh pit. It could be, you know, anything. News, current events. I tend cool. to put a silly spin on things. And uh, that's about it. So questions, feel free to go to the website and send me. All right. Thank you so much, Jill. You know, yes. we could fill several hours with this, I'm sure. <laughs> but instead, I would encourage our listeners to get Jill's latest book. Actually, both books. One of them is 207. And the other is Saints, Sinners, and Sacred Ground. So check those out, guys. Jill, thank you. Oh, thank you both. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I'll talk to you okay, soon. Have thanks, a good night. Thanks, Jill. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Oh, you, we could do that for hours. Yeah. Your story is Jill's so riveting. incredibly compelling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just so much to it. And we barely scratched the surface, yeah. which is why you should buy her book, Saints, Sinners, Sacred Ground. Yep. Yep. Very good. (laughs) So uh, hopefully next week Rick will have his computer program problem sorted out. He has been sending me messages on Facebook, and apparently what happened is that his computer booted him off and tried to do fifty updates, and it didn't. It wouldn't let him cancel them. So he was on number seventeen last I spoke to him. (laughs) He's going to be up all night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, fortunately, up here's the good thing about updates. Yeah. You don't have to watch the computer do them. <laughs> As a matter true. of fact, it's best if you don't. No, exactly. <laughs> All right. So um, there is not a new in the dark tonight, right? Nope. Chuck is uh, taking this week off. So he'll return next week, next Thursday after Paranormal Underground Radio. So okay. come come back then. 
And in the meantime, make sure to listen to the other hazy radio shows. Well, I think that there will be a um, like an encore presentation of In the Dark Radio after this. Yeah, yeah. It, mm. And I believe it's the show that Chuck did with Rob Demarest, um, oh, who cool. was with Ghost Hunters International and is currently with, I believe it's called Haunting Australia, yeah. a new show. Um, yeah. So if you want to listen to Rob talk paranormal stuff with chuck that's going to be on next right after us it's not live but it's good so maybe stay tuned listen anyway that's right um and what do we have next week next week march 6 2014 we will be talking to jolene riley she is the founder and lead investigator of gettysburg paranormal association and author of ghostly encounters of gettysburg I like Gettysburg. Yeah. You know, we used to run a column on Gettysburg in mm-hmm. the um, in the in the Underground magazine, mm-hmm. and it was always really entertaining to say the least. So I haven't talked to Gettysburg in a little while, and that place yeah. is off the hook. It really <laughs> is. It, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just it's there's so much history. And, yeah. And of course, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's you know there these haunted places that are the perfect marriage of history and the haunting to me are just so compelling. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I kind of like the history too. You know, the history I think is cool. All right. So yeah. uh, great show. Cheryl, yes. thank you for being my last minute fill in for, for Rick with his, his update. <laughs> no problem. I'm thank so glad you. your computer didn't decide to update too. I know, me or too. there would have been no show at all because <laughs> you're the run, one who runs the broadcaster. Yes. Uh, um, also guys, just, I'd like to encourage you if you're listening to us to also check out some of the other programs on hazy radio. There's some really great programs. Um, there is a schedule. If you're on hazy right now, just click on the shows tab and there's a schedule of shows, and you can check it out. And there's lots of really good talk radio and um, a little music, too. Mm-hmm. All right. So we will be back next week talking some Gettysburg. Rick should be back with us, you know, if his computer is finally done with its 50 updates. <laughs> Could take all if week. He's still take, if he's still updating next week, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then it might be us. Yeah. <laughs> You know, my voice will be back even more, and we'll have a really good chat. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, We'll talk to you next week, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states. It's Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network. You all have a great week. Good night. If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio, email editor at paranormalunderground.net. Until next time, keep exploring the unexplained at paranormalunderground.net. Please join us next week for Paranormal Underground Radio on the Hazy Radio Network.